Welcome to Blog Talk Radio in high fidelity. week in health innovation on Healthcare Now Radio. I'm Greg Masters, Managing Director at Health Innovation Media, the executive producer of This Week in Health Innovation, your humble host, and hopefully, with some luck, your value-added conversational curator. Today's show is an encore exchange of ideas with the diva of health (laughs) economics, and a consistent thought leader and analyst in the evolving world of consumer-directed healthcare initiative, as well as the tender underbelly of enabling health policy. Clearly, we're again at a flashpoint in our history where the chronic problem of healthcare access, quality, affordability, aka costs, The enabling statutes and regulatory implementation pathways is, again, front and center in the American psyche. Yet, in spite of the innovation that's been claimed since passage of both the Affordable Care Act, the American Recovery and Reinvestment Act, including the high-tech act, whether of the tech or business model variety guiding transformation, there seems to be precious little impact on restraining what amounts to a rapacious appetite of an industry that just continues to put profits over people. And here I'm talking about profits of both admitted for-profit operators and those surpluses booked by so-called nonprofits who are really non-taxable players, virtually indistinguishable from their for-profit brethren subscribing to equally to the no margin, no mission mantra. So before getting Jane involved a few words about this wonderful person. Jane is a skin-in-the-game, clear-thinking advocate for healthcare transformation from its current provider-centric chassis to one of a patient-centric configuration, though though most of that, in my opinion, humble opinion, remains of the ad copy variety, with exceptions here and there, peppered throughout regions of this nation. Also, Take a look for Jane's most recent publication, Health Consuming, from Health Consumer to Health Citizen, found at www.healthconsuming.com. And rather than go into a deeper dive into Jane's bio wit and wisdom, go to healthpopuli.com, www.healthpopuli.com, for more information on her history, advocacy, and participation in the conversation of American healthcare transformation. So, Jane, we uh, just witnessed two nights of the Democratic debate featuring 20 candidates weighing in a range of key domestic and foreign foreign affairs issues. And to no one's surprise, healthcare financing and delivery was a core part of each candidate's narrative. Before you walk us through your two informative recaps on the debate at Health Populi, do you have any issues with the characterization of the landscape of my introduction or context for this chat? (laughs) No contradictions. I think we all know where you stand, and we're going to find out where I stand over the next few minutes. 
Excellent, excellent. So here we go. Let's get into it. There's much to cover. So tell us first, top of mind takeaway, given your call to essentially sit down and author this incredibly accurate and useful recaps of night one, night two. Where do you want to start? Thank you. Thanks. Well, I, I sat uh, gripping uh, my iPad uh, uh, at the table as I was watching the two plus two hours plus a couple hours before and a couple hours after uh, switching between MSNBC and CNN to get sort of a picture of this. Um, so I, I entered that uh, space on uh, Wednesday night first um, with the knowledge that in 2018, uh, a lot of voters in the U.S. were driven to the polls due to health care. One, pre-existing conditions was top of mind, and two, prescription drug costs. So it was no surprise to me that health care would be a question that one of the NBC and MSNBC um, commentators would or queriers would ask but little did i know within five minutes of lester holt asking on night one uh the first few folks uh what they were thinking about the big economy the national economy or macro economy in our economist's words little did i know that a question about the macro economy would lead each and every one of the 10 in the first 10 minutes to start talking about health care before Lester even asked his question about health care. So it's very clear that uh, amongst 20 Democrats, health care is a lead issue uh, for each going into the election for 2020. So, so, so no surprise there because there has been no remedy even though there's been years and years of attempts to essentially undermine the Affordable Care Act. So was the, or yeah. was, were these opportunities for gotcha moments or what? Yeah, I don't think this was as much a gotcha moment as finally uh, some smart uh, political advisors for most of the 20 advising the candidates um, that we must connect the dots between the big economy and the cost of health care because they are one and the same now as we used to think about the price of gas and productivity. Um, you know, that great gas sign uh, at Gus's Shell, uh, arm, leg, and firstborn for the three types of gas. Now it's arm, leg, and literally firstborn when we think about maternal mortality and the social determinants of health. So I think um, there is a zeitgeist in the U.S. amongst voters and the people they will be considering voting for uh, on the Democratic side especially um, about the prominence of health care in the family budget and therefore um, in the voting booth. So what would be the best way to maybe unbundle this and sort of parse it out in bite-side ways to digest the key narrative? In the health reform spectrum or domain, if you will, we're talking on one end, single payer, on the other end, our current system as amended or amplified by the Affordable Care Act. Let's unbundle single payer, Medicare for America, Medicare for all, uh, public option, uh, maybe reintroduction of the co-op concert, you know, concepts, uh, who knows, and then ultimately um, what we have today. Help us understand, help us understand some of the sound bites that we heard from these candidates and what they mean. Yeah, yeah. So of the 20, 
we had four people, two on each night, raising their hands when asked the question, would you be willing to give up your uh, current health care plan for uh, giving up private insurance and going full sale, 101%, to a national health plan, which they are calling, uh, really referring to Bernie Sanders' Medicare for All plan that would abolish private insurance for virtually every health service except for um, plastic surgery uh, or cosmetic surgery, which is the way Michael Bennett characterized it. But that's approximately correct, that um, we would not have private health insurance. We would have a government-sponsored slash government-run health system. So, And then the other 16 were supporting various flavors of universal health care, so everyone covered through both private and public health insurance. And there are many flavors under that, and I won't go into, you talked about co-op and other, and other variants, but let's just look at these two variants uh, fr- discussed on the two nights. Medicare for All, Bernie style, which was Warren, Bernie Sanders, Kamala Harris raised her hand, and I'll, I'll talk about that in a second, and uh, Mayor de Blasio, who uh, asserted that he has provided for health care for all New Yorkers in Manhattan. Not sure every Manhattanite actually has health care, but according to him, he has a policy to cover all folks that he uh, is mayor for. So those four people, Harris, de Blasio, Sanders, and uh, Warren, um, are supporting uh, Bernie Sanders' plan called Medicare for All. Again, that's Bernie Sanders' Medicare for All plan. The other 16, universal health care. So I'd kind of like to leave it at that level of granularity right now because there are a lot of mis- there's a lot of misinformation about the role of private sector health care in that. And I think that's where we should talk for a couple of minutes. If we look, and I used to live in the U.K., um, and so was covered by the NHS, the National Health Service, which is single-payer like Canada, and these are the two places in the world that have that kind of plan. The rest of the developed world, the OECD countries, the wealthy countries of the world, have some variant under the umbrella of universal health care of private plus public insurance. And I might hasten to add that when I lived in London working for Touche Ross, now Deloitte, and was covered by the NHS, I still was given through my employer a private plan through BUPA, B-U-P-A, akin to a Blue Cross-type plan, um, for private health care. So if I wanted to have a child uh, and get maternal maternity care in the private sector in a private hospital in London, I could. If I wanted plastic surgery, I could use my BUPA plan, etc. So we must hasten to add that even in single-payer countries, Canada and the UK, you can get private insurance. It doesn't necessarily have to go away. Um, Now, folks from Aetna and United are exhaling a little bit. But um, (laughs) suffice it to say, um, a private public plan in my, you know, tea leaves will probably be what we see in some um, aspect of health reform moving to universal health care. So there were there are two two sound bites that came out of the two nights uh, that I think are are useful. One is from Mayor Pete Buttigieg, 
who talked about Medicare for all who want it, and that's how I titled my or part of the second uh, blog I wrote this week for night two, round two, Medicare for all who want it. And then on the first night, one of the men talked about let's mend it, not end it. So that is what we assumed Hillary Clinton might have done were she president, to tweak the ACA to get to universal health care. And that's what many, many of the discussants in the 16 talked about. Take the, the what we've built. Certainly Joe Biden talked about that. He said he'd be against anyone, Republican or Democrat, who wanted to take down the ACA or Obamacare. Uh, and most people did talk about mending or tweaking or um, bringing back uh, uh, parts of the ACA which President Trump has executive ordered out, or Congress ha- has, especially on the Senate side. So that's sort of the summary of the two plan, uh, the, the continuum of the two plans public private, universal health care, vis a vis Bernie Sanders' Medicare for All plan. And, and I love Pete Buttigieg's as a way with words in the mend it or end it uh, mantra. That's a, that's a great one. So mm-hmm. the heavy hand of the federal government with top-down solutions that would essentially extinguish the private marketplace is clearly ill-advised. And uh, as as we saw uh, some of uh, backstepping from Kamala Harris uh, on her potential gotcha moment where tweet uh, where Trump tweeted. The race, the you know, that's the end of the race right there. Clearly, and I think Biden knows this. I could not agree more that uh, we're not there. The American public is just not there yet. But what we have, really, the chassis that the on uh, that the uh, Affordable Care Act was placed on top of is really a pluralistic, dysfunctional mm-hmm. system. <laughs> it just mm-hmm. it survives only by cost shifting at this time. And even if you did Medicare for all, based on the current way traditional Medicare is delivered, it's extremely wasteful because it's still kind of a volume-based plan. I mean, mm-hmm. a payment for volume. We haven't tweaked workflow at all. And that where we really save money is in moving people into lower-cost settings, more to the home, more self-care. And this is where these nuances um, really get lost in the sound bites of debate. So to our friend, the mighty Casey Quinlan's point, when um, I tagged her on my tweet about my blog describing the debate, she said, I come out of the news industry. I'm giving a longer version. Uh, I don't ha- I'm not going to sit and listen to uh, the debate. I'm going to read the transcript and take right. my time. That's and, you know, to her, to her credit, uh, yeah. She ain't wrong, but um, I have to cover it, so I did have to listen and understand the nuance. Let me um, uh, amend one thing that you – or add to one thing that you said about President Trump's tweet. One of his tweets about um, it's it, the game – the Democrats have lost the game kind of thing came after on uh, night two um, – the folks had raised their hands to get give health care to uh, undocumented oh, immigrants right. across the border. And right. that is a very slippery slope. Uh, and I was shocked that everyone raised their hand about that one, because clearly in my home state of Michigan, I live in Pennsylvania now, there are parts of Pennsylvania who would also be allergic to that. But my whole home state of Michigan would be tremendously antipathetic 
to the idea that you would grant free health care to an undocumented immigrant when, in fact, we haven't accomplished universal health care for um, people with passports in the U.S. So with all due respect, I think that's a non-starter as well, and people got swept up into, ooh, she's raising her hand, he's raising his hand. And that's why I didn't like the hand-raising exercises on either night because we have to bring up Kamala Harris uh, raising her hand this time and then previously a couple months ago saying that let's get rid of the private insurance industry. She walked that back Friday morning on Morning Joe and I watched her there and throughout the day. So even she, who really commanded night two, arguably, um, made that uh, maybe unforced error in in saying I'm for Bernie care and getting rid of private insurance and she walked it back. So even our our strongest candidates, like her, the great prosecutor, um, I think probably had an unforced error on that one. Took took the took the bait in a what was obviously a gotcha moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. The, clearly, that's heart, and that might be a preamble for a health policy proposal. In theory, this is our goal. <laughs> the question yeah. is, how do we get there? Okay, and, and, and in, even though we talk disruption and transformation, change is incremental, right? Mm-hmm. Change yeah. is incremental, and there's a lot of ways we can provide health care for people who need it in the moment, including for undocumented workers. Just as mm-hmm. a sidebar, I sit on the board of our free clinic in my town where we aren't an FQHC. We are literally a free clinic. We don't ask people anything about who they are, if they're insured, etc. We give care. And we're funded by donations and uh, foundations, including our Independence Blue Cross in Philadelphia, in fact, gives us um, a significant amount of money to provide literally free care. And um, clearly people will also go to ERs and Walmart clinics and et cetera who need care when they need it. So mm-hmm. the idea of providing health insurance to an undocumented person, um, I just don't think will do well in the uh, – Democrat-leaning Trump voting states from the pres- the last presidential election. Right. Well, this subject isn't going to go away anytime soon. <laughs> hopefully, hopefully, the, this is an opportunity to re- to reopen the debate. You know, what is the nature yeah. of our healthcare system? Totally. Where, is there alignment or disalignment of the interests of stakeholders in that system, and can they come together in some coherent fashion? Mm-hmm. And, you know, while some of us have are newly to the idea, wow, who knew healthcare was so complicated? Those <laughs> of us who have been at 30 plus years yes, experience indeed. that complexity on many levels. So it's not going to be subject to sound basis. Bites. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah. so this is an opportunity to you know, educate the public, no? Absolutely. And also the the um, thought that maybe, just maybe, this could be a kumbaya moment to unite people, uh, Republicans, independents, and Democrats alike, who all believe in one, uh, covering everybody in the United States, and two, lowering prescription drug prices, which was really the conclusion of my book, Health Consuming, from health consumer to health citizen, and what is 
the concept of a health citizen, small c. Um, you know, we care about each other. We're America, uh, the, the community, the green, right, the, um, the, the lifeboat that we're all in. And when we think about health broadly that way, other discussions that came up on the two nights feed into health. So we have to think about health baked in all public policy. And interestingly, Marianne Williamson, who, of course, people chuckle at uh, her participation, she brought up two things that were super, super important and key to social determinants of health. One is the fact that we're dying from um, non-communicable chronic conditions that are largely amenable through changing our behaviors, like smoking and eating right and exercising and breathing clean air. But number two, at the end, she brought up the topic of love, the theme of love, and certainly social isolation. And when we look at the opioid epidemic and the deaths of despair, a lot of that comes out of alienation and people bowling alone, quote-unquote, from that great book that came out 15 years ago by uh, Robert Putnam, Bowling Alone. Um, Social isolation kills too. So even Marianne had, a, I think, a fairly important contribution to make just on thinking about social determinants. Um, so those themes also wove throughout the two nights. Obviously, income inequality connects to socioeconomic status, connects to health outcomes. Uh, Amy Klobuchar brought up health inequities uh, and maternal mortality, and we just saw the report out of the CDC in the last 10 days looking at maternal mortality in the African-American community, which is one of the sins of America, uh, and really a legacy of the sort that Kamala Harris is talking about, right, separate worlds, and um, income inequality leading to greater social problems uh, around the world, but including in the U.S. So I think there were many themes, uh, and climate change, of course, that impact health beyond just health reform that were discussed in the two nights. Yeah, and and I didn't chuckle about Marianne Williamson. I I respect her immensely, and I think Mm -hmm. she offered – she offered a texture and a quality of, of uh, input into that dynamic that I don't think anyone else could have spoken to. And she totally. had her moments. She, she had her moments. When some, she spoke, it was impactful. Spoke, yeah, yeah. I, I'm a little sad um, Andrew Yang didn't have a little more airtime. You know, there's, there's, right. there may be a there there to this notion of the freedom dividend. There's a huge there there because it speaks to um, income inequality and really allowing people to form business, to be able to pay bills at the end of the month. You know, the, the phrase about the end of the month was raised by several people getting through that fourth week of the month when your money runs out because most people live paycheck to paycheck. And I think um, his concept of the minimum basic income, which is getting traction in certain countries, uh, in certain developed countries is really important. Also, he raised the important issue of taxation of really successful companies, and particularly tech companies, and he used the the name Amazon, who didn't Mm -hmm. pay a lot of taxes in the last couple of years. And he said, when asked by one of the, I think it was um, Lester again, when asked um, who's going to pay your $1,000 a month, which means $12,000 an adult in houses, potentially $36,000 in a home with a child over 18, um, who's going to pay? And he said, get Amazon to pay for it at all 
get companies that are hugely successful to pay their fair share. And obviously his value-added tax comes into that, which is highly popular in Europe, but we don't have a value-added tax in the U.S. of that. But if you've traveled overseas, you know what I'm talking about. Sure, sure. So, what, And maybe in the interest of educating the public, um, j- just to clarify, especially for the demographic who are uh, – by the way, kudos to Bernie Sanders because none of this would be on the table absent yeah. his advocacy you know, uh, for a, a disruptive solution, which I yeah. don't necessarily adhere to at this time, but it yeah. certainly stimulates the conversation. But um, yeah. Uh, up because we we are a pluralistic nation that embraces mm-hmm. public private partnerships and mm-hmm. to many uh, who perhaps don't understand Medicare administration that is a public private partnership <laughs> because the administration of Medicare is through essentially is. private carriers. It is. It is. I mean, you shut down Connecticut and and other parts of the country if you right. uh, get rid of get rid of that component. And absolutely, right. they, the systems are in place. They're well-oiled machines. The data analytics are there. The question is, how do we administer it for efficiency? Also, create regulations and laws. Um, around that to make sure there isn't the kinds of abuses that Elizabeth Warren talks about. She was true to her brand looking at big company profits, right? She doesn't only bang up on banks. She bangs up on pharma and health plans who are uh, quite profitable. And so were she to be president, aside from single payer, which she would forward because she's all about you know how healthcare costs have bankrupted many American families. She also would be looking at antitrust and the kind of consolidation that we've had in the healthcare ecosystem, which is largely driven by the fact that there is so much uncertainty in the market. Co- companies, whether it's Cigna and Express Scripts or CVS, Aetna, etc., there is this consolidation going on for scale economies in healthcare, and Elizabeth would look at that. Uh, under her kind of an FTC and wonder, hmm, is there too much uh, control and power in economic power in local markets and healthcare? So, again, when we talk about health reform and healthcare, we have to look at the other implications for the healthcare industry that each of these candidates represents because it goes beyond Medicare for All or universal healthcare. It goes to uh, will there be net neutrality? that then can run telehealth to rural areas quickly? Will um, How will our personal data be respected? Will the FTC look for something more like a GDPR that's all-encompassing for privacy versus HIPAA, GINA, COPA, and the patchwork <laughs> quilt that we have? And I can go on and on with that. But, you know, health is really all over the place in public policy in America. And so who you vote for isn't just on either the Republican or the Democrat side, what they're going to do for insurance reform, but for health overall. Right. Right. And when you say Copa, let's not forget that cabana. Right. But so in the (laughs) waning, in the waning moments here, Jane, let's make you queen for a day. Your White House Senior Policy Advisor for Healthcare Reform. Mm-hmm. What of the proposals on the plate today, what would you either advocate or mash up to President fill in the blank? 
so uh, I fall on the public-private side of things, driving to universal health care right away. I hope that there would be the kind of executive order, if there's a Democrat in the White House, and it's not pre- – President Trump is, um, is uh, has to leave his, his uh, Oval Office – if it is a Democrat, I hope that they will forward an idea in on day one, week one, to take the ACA, make it better, um, move us very quickly toward a public-private system. People can keep their private insurance. A hundred million Americans really tend to like being insured by employers. There is a bigger question, which will not be answered on day one in the White House if it's a Democrat, about whether we should have employer-sponsored health insurance. It's a huge question. It impacts tax law and all of that. And I would just leave, because I hear the music, with one scenario, which is the possible kumbaya of the coming together of Joe Biden for the first four years with a VP named Kamala Harris. And if they can forgive yes. each other and get past this week, what an interesting <laughs> combo that might be for the short run. Well, there you have it. Perfect ending to an awesome conversation. Jane, thank you so much for your insights. I want to say follow Jane on Twitter at HealthyThinker. And do take a look at the healthpopuliblog.com, which features the two posts on the Dem debate awesome information so for jane for healthcare now radio this is greg masters saying thanks for joining and we'll see you next time bye now